Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. episode of season six seven million bikes a vietnam podcast thank you to everyone who's been listening over all these seasons we're up to over fifteen thousand downloads now we appreciate every single person who's listened to even one minute of a vietnam podcast so thank you so much i hope you're going to enjoy season six we have an amazing lineup of guests coming from all around the world all with a connection to vietnam all about to share their story so i hope you enjoy it and you can keep on listening just remember to subscribe from wherever you're listening to whether it's google apple spotify hit the subscribe and if you can turn on the notifications you're going to be getting an episode every week for the next 10 weeks at least now this season we are proud to be partnered with and sponsored by eddie's new york deli and diner they are one of my favorite places to go in saigon you're always greeted with a big smile they have two locations now one in d1 and in d2 And until June 7th, they have a pop-up at Takashimaya in Saigon Center, right in the heart of D1. So make sure you check it out. It may be the world's smallest diner. So go down there, get a glimpse of the future from Eddie's maybe. They might be doing something a bit different. As I said, it's only there until June 7th. Also remember, as we're going into another lockdown in Saigon, you can get delivery from Eddie's. Um, they are the delivery experts. So if you don't want to leave the house, hit them up on Facebook Messenger. They'll get back to you immediately. 
or you can also get them on Grab as well. As I said, I've been going to Eddie's since they've opened three years ago. It is one of my go-to places in Saigon, so please check it out. One of my favorite things about Eddie's is the eco-friendly packaging. So if you are going to order, they will not give you a whole ton of plastic, which is what I like. And when I told them that I love the eco-friendly packaging so much, they told me that my next order would be free and they would just give me the eco-friendly packaging to eat. So uh, it was delicious. So thank you very much for listening to season six. If you do enjoy 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast, please go into the show notes. There's a link there for Patreon. You can become one of our Patreon members. You'll be able to get exclusive member benefits like free tickets to comedy shows, and you'll also be supporting the content that you love. Or you can also just buy me a coffee, but send me a little message if you want me to buy a beer as well, because as you know, I love my beer as well. You can do that in the notes as well. Click on the link for coffee.com and you can send a coffee my way. Thank you so much to the people from around the world that sent me coffees in the last season. It was very, very much appreciated. Let's get started with season six, episode one with Ilse Zob. Enjoy the episode. Thank you for joining in for the brand new season. I'm very excited to be back again. Thank you to everyone who's been listening to all the previous episodes. Thank you to all the new listeners and all the future listeners. And most of all, thank you to all the guests that come on the show and make a Vietnam podcast what it is. And my guest today, uh, we've just been having a bit of a, a discussion, heated discussion before we started recording about how to pronounce a name that should be relatively simple, but apparently my Scottish accent is completely butchering it. So I'm going to try and introduce my guest. She's going to correct me and then we're going to debate how to say her name properly. So Ilsa is a, a creator of things and a performer of things. She's one third of the creative hub Lang Tang, which is in Tao Dien. Like many of us, she still has to work a job to fund her elaborate hobby slash addiction that is making things. And one of the things that you make when that's how I first um, saw you is Colonel Hai Min, which we will talk about as well. So thank you very much for joining. Thank you for having me. So how did I say your name? You did really well. That was the best time you've done it. All the practicing <laughs> paid off. Okay, so let's let's practice it again. Ilsa, Ilsa Zorb. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> How do, so how do you say it? I say it Ilsa Zorb, but I'm not the one who's calling myself that. So I'm just a product of popular opinion, I guess. Whatever people call me <laughs> is what they call me. But I find my friends are more defensive about how my name is pronounced than I am. Because people will often say Elsa because of a certain movie that came out um, that no froze, froze no. my heart. <laughs> um, and my friends and other people will be like, it's Ilsa, not Elsa. Elsa. So they're much more defensive about my name and protective of it than I am. So you can call me anything. I wish my friends were like that. Nobody corrects people when my name is wrong, and which is every time. What's the worst butchering of your name that you've heard? Mm, Ian. <laughs> there's an N in your name. Yeah, I've, I've, people, I think it's maybe not because they've read it, but they've just forgot my name and they know that there's an N, an I, and an A. So I've had people in the past call me Ian and I'm like, you mean Neil? And they're like, oh yeah, Neil. I'm like, yeah, not Ian. That was but my second guess. That was my second I guess. I get Niall all the time, obviously, which is fair enough. But it's more my last name that gets butchered. And I've just posted this recently. Which it, and it's really difficult because my last name, basically, there's no way to tell how you pronounce it. It doesn't matter how it's spelled. So it can be Mackey, McKay, Mackay, which is how you say mine. I don't know, there's about five other ways you can pronounce that name. And no matter how it's spelled, it doesn't tell you how it's pronounced. 
So it's super confusing. Which kind of defeats the purpose of like language and spelling. Yeah. Because that's what letters should be, is an exactly, indicator right. of how to say it. Yeah. Wow. Not with my last name. So for anyone who's new to the podcast, my name is Neil Mackay. Ian Fuck McNasty. <laughs> Did I pronounce that right? I, try, I don't think, I don't swear on this podcast. You've already made me swear in about the first minute already. That's impressive. So I feel like the conversation we had before we started, like I was talking to a Vietnamese person, because I'm saying your name, Ilse, Ilsa, Ilsa, and you're laughing at me. And I'm like, but I'm saying it the way you're saying it, but you're like, no, you're not. And this is what happens with Kim and all my Vietnamese friends. I'll be like, they say something and I'll be like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then they'll say it again and I'll repeat it back. And they're like, no, no, it's, I, this is the first time this has happened with a, another English speaker. I'm flattered. <laughs> One more time. Let me get it. Ilsa Zorb. Correct. Perfect. All right. Now your last name you said before we started recording, what is it? Your name is like a Pokemon? Yes. Uh, my Ilsa Zorb. I had a friend in university who used to just call me Ilsa Zorb because it is much like a Pokemon character. Um, it's just goofy. It's just like sounds that get smashed together and it sounds real silly. Where is your last name from? It's also German. Right. From my father. Okay. It's from my father because patriarchy. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little name. I like it. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. So we'll move on from your name. Thank you so much for coming on. This isn't a name podcast where it's not all you a talk name about podcast. So maybe we should do that. They always say that your podcast should have a niche. You need a niche for your podcast. And that's a real niche podcast that we just get into like discussing names and, and where they come from. Yeah. Why is that your name? Yeah. Why is it spelled that way? Yeah. Do you know what does your name mean? I don't know what my I think mine means freedom, but maybe I made that up just because I'm Scottish and everything means freedom in Scotland. But what is Okay, uh, Walter. Walter Wallace? Walter White? No. Who's Braveheart? Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson. Well, I mean... Bill he Wallace? Was, he was the actor who played Braveheart. Braveheart is... Um, I, fuck, I can't remember You that don't either. even know! Braveheart, who's Rob Roy? No, Robert the Bruce. No, not Robert the Bruce. Not it's Rob Roy. Wallace. Something William Wallace. Wallace. William, William Wallace. William Wallace. Alliteration. I've been out of Scotland for too long. I'm going to look up what does my name mean, but you tell me, what did you, do you know what your name means? I would rather just talk about Braveheart. <laughs> Uh, just kidding. Uh, my name means servant of God. Okay. And have you lived true to your name? Absolutely not. <laughs> and did your parents choose that name because of that? No, I'm named after my great aunt. This is a bit of a sad story who passed away at eight years old in Germany uh, due to mustard gas poisoning. Because there were some wars going on at the time, like maybe one or two. Oh, I who heard knows? something about that. I can't remember yeah. what it was. Yeah, we don't know history. We don't know German history. We don't know Scottish history. <laughs> we should just talk about names. Apparently, that's yeah. all we know. Well, so I've just looked up. Uh, when I said freedom, I was mistaken, but I knew it was something cool. Neil actually means champion. Nothing <laughs> cooler than freedom and champion. <laughs> that's pretty cool, right? It is pretty cool. I didn't know that by my name. And it even gives you how to pronounce it, which is Neil. Because that's so when people say about the, how do you pronounce my name, I guess my anglicized way of saying it is Neil, like N-E-I-L. But my gran, who's from the north of Scotland, or was, God bless her, cotton socks, who was from the north of Scotland, she would call me growing up Neil. So that would be technically the correct pronunciation of N-I-A-L-L. -L. And we can't fight with grandma. 
well, not anymore. She's dead. See, it's okay. If you, I was going to go for that joke, but I don't know you well enough, so I'm glad you did it. Somebody went for the slam dunk on that. Rest in peace. Yeah, there you go. No, so tell me a bit about uh, your background. So you're from the States, unfortunately. We can't all be perfect. Um, <laughs> and we all can't make more unique jokes about being from the States anymore. I've heard that joke so many times. USA. And it's like, oh, it sucks for you. Um, yeah. Come on, America. Give us more material so we can stop using that joke for the past two years. But you were correct. I'm from the States. Uh, yeah, kind of bounced around a lot. Um, I joke I'm an expert on white trash culture because I was born in Wisconsin, grew up in Oklahoma, spent some time in Kentucky, upstate New York, Pennsylvania. I'm really good at regional dialects. Go on. And I, I, I say, damn it. I, damn it. Okay, now, um, this season is sponsored by Eddie's Diner, the American Diner in, in well, D1 and D2 now. And they love swearing. Well, no, Brad is from, now I hope I don't get this wrong, Brad, Minnesota, I think, which is near Wisconsin, right? The, the accent's similar? Yes. So can you give us your Wisconsin accent? Give me a second. Which I do like the Wisconsin. They kind of, I like that that uh, border accents in America, like kind of really Fargo type, like. Oh yeah, Ufta. <laughs> oh, I went down to the Oktoberfest last weekend. Oh, I had a lager, and oh, you know, I just I couldn't help myself. I had about twenty lagers. It was a crazy night. You know what I mean? And. uh Oh, I went to the Lutheran church the next day, and the reverend was just so upset with me. Oofta. Oh. <laughs> I also find with the Minnesota Wisconsin accent, it's just a lot of sounds. Uh, my family still lives there, so my uncle, it's just a lot of like cawing noises, like, ah, oh, yeah. Uh, so it's a post verbal accent, I feel, the Midwest. Accent. Do you have a lot of family from there? I do. Yeah, all of my mom's family are still in that area. I wish we, a lot of people ask me, sorry to just interject and go on a different tangent. A lot of people ask me, do we do video podcasts, which I don't, mostly just because it's too much work. <laughs> I wish we could video this right now, though, because you won't be able to see me. That accent, I was nearly doubled over in tears. That was, I love that accent, and that was absolutely perfect. And yes, I can confirm Brad's accent is definitely a Minnesotan accent. You've met Brad, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, so my question was going to be, um, you got family from there. You obviously don't have that accent. When you talk to your family back in the Minnesota, does that accent come back? It doesn't come back for me. Oh, maybe that's not true. I don't think it, it I don't think I ever had it because we left that area when I was quite young. But my mom, definitely, my mom, so maybe it does come back. I just said mom instead of mom. She definitely slides into it hardcore. And me and my brother, I have an older brother, when we go back to Minnesota, there's a bit of a regional culture shock where we'll just sit back and say, like, why are their O's so long? So, yeah, we, uh, my brother and I, we're the, we're the odd ones in the family out of the cousins and aunts and uncles and things. The reason I ask is because so, but you said so, right? You you don't slip into the accent because you went or you left that area when you were young. That makes no difference, right? So my dad, so we talked about my grand. She's from the Isle of Lewis, which is very, very far north Scotland. Moved to Glasgow, the big city, when she was like 17, had a family there, including my dad, right? So he's from Glasgow. 
He's been to the Isle of Lewis on holiday a couple of times, right? That's it. He doesn't speak Gaelic, which is the, the, the Scottish language, I guess, right, from the far north. His mum does speak Gaelic and she's got like this, they call it like a Chuchta accent in Scotland. If you're a Chuchta, it's someone from like the north, you know, kind of, not like a redneck, not like a country bumpkin, but like a Chuchta is someone from like way up kind of north, right? I showed you my silly accent. Are you going to share with me your accent? Well, well, what it is, what I wanted to share was, so my dad, the point is he'd never been brought up in this area, right? But when when we were growing up, when my dad would talk to his mum on the phone, immediately he would put on this Chuchter accent. He'd be like, oh, hello, Gray, how are you doing? Are you okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Oh, it's just nice to speak to you. And they're like, Dad, it, no, he sounds like me. He's like a, a Glasgow accent. He's just not that. He doesn't sound like that. And it's like, you don't even speak Gaelic, Dad. You're just pretending you've got this like Tuchter accent anytime you talk to your mum. So my point being is you don't need to have even been brought up there to have to slip back into that accent because that's what my dad did all the time. Sneaky. Yeah. And it happened to me last night. We had a, we had a comedy <clears throat> show. And uh, got talking to the audience and whatnot and doing some bits about Scotland and blah, blah, blah. One of the girls in the front row was from uh, Aberdeen. And so we started having a bit of a, a back and forth. And almost immediately. So, yeah, I mean, you, you know, the long-term listeners will know and you can probably hear. I've got quite a neutral, soft accent for being from Glasgow because I haven't lived there for 20 years. So I, I've learned to speak slowly and properly and so people can understand me. But I can slip back into a Scottish accent, like a thick one, pretty quickly without trying, without noticing. I find it really, like lots of people go, oh, do a Scottish accent, like, or make it like thicker, right? Obviously, I have a Scottish accent, but like, can you do your old accent? And I cannot turn it on like that. Like, I find it really difficult to like, to just to do it. But as soon as I meet someone who's from there, so last night I was like, hi, right, hi, all right, and I was like, I've done it already. Like, immediately I just slip back into the... I guess we just do all that. That's the, that's the true Scottish one, yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's not. It's horrible. Um, sorry, what other accents can you do? You're from all over. I want to hear more accents. Well, the most fun is the Philadelphia Regional Delco, which stands for Delaware County, accent. And the way I slide into it, like my key phrase is... Uh, you go down to the wall, wall, get coke and a hoagie. You know, last Wednesday, I was out at my daughter's wedding, and you wouldn't believe. We went down to Jersey Sore, and you know, she just perioded all over her shorts, and it was just awful. Maybe the period part wasn't best, <laughs> but the fact that it's verbed as perioded. I don't even know this accent. It's very niche, and linguists have actually been doing studies about how it's how it's a falling out of favor and how it's it's dying, essentially. It's a dying accent. That's probably a good thing. It, it is awful. Um, it is not the prettiest accent, but I love it so much just because it is so brass and un, unapologetic and just, yeah, I love Philadelphia. It sounds it's like great. kind of gypsy-esque, almost like... I don't know what that is. Like a, you know what a gypsy is? I, I do. It sounds like a gypsy would speak. Um, I watch too much TLC. There's like some show on there about gypsies. My favorite guilty pleasure show. Wait, is it NDF? What's NDF? 90 Day Fiance. No, no, it's even worse. I love My Big Fat Fabulous Life, and I love 90 Day Fiance. I love those shows. Yeah, I don't know the first one. What's the other one? My Big Fat Fabulous Life with Whitney Waythor. No, no idea. Oh, get into it. <laughs> it's great. It's 
It's great. <laughs> it's uh, empowering. Uh, it's just so confusing. I just love TLC so much because it stands for the Learning Channel. Like, I remember watching so it. So it does have a club with that. It, it's, <laughs> you don't learn anything from that channel. That's, so I'm just, like, obsessed with the evolution of the Learning Channel. And now it's a part of the same parent company as, like, Discovery Channel. But it's just turned into a modern-day, like, circus freak show where you just have... So, yeah, that evolution, like, and it still has the audacity to be TLC, the learning channel. And then they have My Big Fat Fabulous Life, which is Whitney Waythor living her big, fat, fabulous you life. You keep saying this name like I know who that is. Who's Whitney Waythor? Oh, this is for the viewers at home who are like, <laughs> yes, I love TLC. If you're in the know, you know. But then on the other hand, then you have um, uh, the the weight Dr. loss Pimple show, the six, oh. the 600 pound show, like my, my 600 pound life with a... Doctor now, and he he performs gastric bypass surgery on high risk patients. So he's wow. What are we supposed to talk about, like art and stuff? But we're like TLC. Yeah. This is important. There's no, there's no, um, there's no linear. We we can talk about anything on this podcast. We've talked about my dead grand. No, but wait, so, I've not heard of any of these shows on TLC. I've, I, what are you doing? Well, I was every time I turn it on, it's Duff versus. It's that ba- I hate baking shows. It's always a baking show. You have to look it up on YouTube. This isn't uh, stuff you catch. What does it say It's maybe not on me? the Vietnam TLC. The Vietnam TLC is always Dr. Pimple Bobber. The baking shows, always a baking show. And if you're lucky, and I've flicked through an NDF, as I call it, 90 Day Fiancé, if that's on, then that stays on. I don't know why. I hate reality TV. I love 90 Day Fiancé. I have no idea. There's something about it. I'm just fascinated. Well, the shows I'm describing, and I'm not sure what it says about myself, you don't stumble upon them. You seek them out. And I watch them all on YouTube. The whole latest season of My Big Fat Fabulous Life is on YouTube. Also, uh, the My 600-Pound Life. That's what it's called. So in the same channel called The Learning Channel, you have Whitney Way Thor, who's a morbidly obese woman, being like, my life is so fabulous. Look at all the things I do as she struggles with, like, weight dating and just life but then you have this other show where it's my 600 pound life and that's another show about morbidly obese people who are trying to go through weight loss surgery but one of them is like praising this extreme lifestyle but the other one is condoning it and it's on the same channel so just watching like one then the other it's wild I am learning a lot but like not the way the learning channel I guess intends for me to but it's all these channels, they've been bought over by a few years ago, like Fox, right? Like National Geographic and the Discovery Channel that you mentioned, so probably TLC as well. So, I, I mean, you've just noticed all these channels, like, dumbed down. Like, uh, I think it's maybe the Discovery Channel has, like, I noticed a, um, last year sometime. One of the shows they now have is The Science of Stupid. Have you seen this? Yeah. So, so it's just an excuse. It's just, like, you know, one of these million shows where people fall over, bang their head, whatever, slip on ice do something stupid and hurt themselves, right? But because it's the Discovery Channel, it's the science of stupid. So they have some, they explain the the maths of the momentum and all of this and how they fell over. But I mean, that's not the main, like you're not learning anything. It's just like a gimmick to put it on that channel. At the end of the day, it's just people falling and hurting themselves. And when I saw that, I was like, this is when you now start to see the result of Fox buying that which is like you know dumbed down right wing kind of thing but what worried me about that which still worries me about that is what probably the general public don't know is 
National Geographic produced like a lot of textbooks and a lot of English language books as well. And so when I saw that as well, that's one of the main parts of their business. Most people just think of like the TV channel, but National Geographic does so much more than that. So if you have like a, a right-leaning conservative owner of that, I wonder and I worry how much that will then filter through into then what gets taught. But are we complaining? Because we get to watch things like 90 Day Fiance and My Big Fat Fabulous Life. <laughs> I don't see the problem. I do like what you said as well. I mean, I thought um, we we're going to be having an in-depth discussion about art. And I was worried. I was like, I don't know much about art. I don't know what we're going to talk about. But thank God, this is more on my level. So we're, we're all good. Proving the point of why Fox is dumbing things down <laughs> yeah, for people yeah. like us. Yeah. If anyone's a long-term listener, they know this is not a highbrow podcast. I wouldn't call it lowbrow either. Well, I wouldn't call it highbrow. They give me more accents. I think it's more eyelash. There's not even enough hair on there to make it a brow. So go on, give me some more accents. I do like them. So we... um, those are those are the best ones I have. Those are the most entertaining. Yeah. Maybe I lied. Maybe I only have two. That's it. But um, where would you say your accent is from? Because you have a very neutral American accent. I have a very neutral American accent. I don't even. I don't even know. I think it's just watered down. I can hear the Midwest come out now. Maybe because we started talking about it. Yeah, I've transformed it back to my former self. There you go. I, I'm not. I'm normally not too bad with with accents. I had a, a meeting just in the last couple of weeks with uh, an Irish uh, woman, and as we were talking through the meeting, I could. I, I said to her at the end, I said, "Are you? Did you? Uh, are you from Canada? Or have you lived in Canada?" And she was like, "No, no, but I worked in the American school system for like 15 years, so I have a bit of an American accent." And I was like, "Yeah, I could hear it, just like." The odd world would drop in and it would be... Yeah, I feel like the distinguishing feature between American and Canadian accent is a boot. That's the giveaway. It's like a boot. I put on a boot and we go a boot. Well, also Canadians apologize for things. As they should. (laughs) Being on top of America, how dare they? My favorite meme that I've been uh, quoting often recently is uh, I saw it come up saying... Being from Canada in the last couple of years is like living above a meth lab. You're despairing there because you know it's true. <laughs> I mean, meth isn't one hell of a drug, you know? <laughs> it's an addiction, right? Apparently so. Apparently so. Richard, we're trying to go to rehab. Uh, we're trying. So, so where are you from again in the States to remind me again? We've covered so much for America, I've forgotten already. As of now, I would claim Philadelphia yeah, because that's where I, I was last before I moved here. So I was in Philadelphia for six years and that's where I went straight out of university. So I kind of grew up there, air quotes. And um, I also studied uh, there. I studied theater and movement. So my a lot of my friends, my heart still beats there. I have so many like good friends who live there and get water ices and go down to the Jersey Shore. You know, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I got some lucky strikes out of the, the vending machine over there. You know, I tried to quit smoking, but you know, you know, Barbara's been such a bitch and like, Little Dan, oh my God, little Dan, you won't believe what little Dan did last week. This is Philadelphia accent. Yeah. <laughs> I've not spent much time there. I have, I have been in Philadelphia, but it was a long, long time ago. So I can't remember that accent. And I will, the people I was with weren't from Philadelphia, so I wouldn't, wouldn't know. But wait, let's go back a step. You studied movement? Correct. How do you study the week? What? We all know how what to What did move. you study? Sports science. Sports science. <laughs> We all know how to science. I watch TLC. Um, yeah, movement. It's, uh, oh God. Um, 
here we go. Here's the academic intellectual snob part of it. Uh, I say movement uh, because it's not because it's not dance, and that's how words work. We're going back to like the name things. They're like, why is your name that? Why is your name spelled like that? It's like because that's how it's spelled. Um, so dance, dance has like a lot more uh, components to it because there's like choreographing and composition and improv dance, and there's so many codified styles of dance that that's its own thing. But movement is kind of like a smaller category within dance. So studying movement, I'm not like a trained technical dancer. So people who study like dance movement are more into like exploration of, yeah, just how the body moves and they can still perform as a, as quote dancers but they don't have like the technicality to like do tap and they don't have the technical skills to do ballet, but they still choreograph things and they still make things and they still collaborate with things. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I'm just thinking I'm being a total asshole. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously being completely facetious and I know that there is a, there is a science to it, but it's just funny because what it reminds me of is uh, you were suggested to be on the podcast from our mutual friend Kelso, who had been on the, the podcast last season and I'm trying to remember what their major was now, but it was something really funny, like global management. Did I get that right, Kelso? And it was like, what? <laughs> and even they were like, yeah, I don't know what global management is. <laughs> like, you're going to manage the globe. So it almost made me laugh that uh, we had that connection and, and just when I studied movement, it's like, but I need to study movement. Do you know I've fallen like three times in the last week? Well, like, if you watch the butt. History Channel, they'll tell you all the things you need to know about how that's scientific and intellectual. Yeah, there you go. Um, the science of stupid. I've been very stupid in the last week. I've, I've fallen three times like badly in the last week, like on sprawled out on the floor. I mean, the sidewalks here are so nice. I couldn't see how you could possibly do that. <laughs> Nothing to do with the sidewalks. Nothing here, to do with the number of motorbikes. I love Saigon. Yeah. I really do. Oh my God, there's, I really there's do. There's a butt coming here. But no, there's no butt. It just has its like wonderful, amazing quirks that is why I love it. As listeners know, we talk a lot about the craziness and the energy of Saigon. And for anyone living here, every now and again, you need to get out of Saigon and take a breath, right? Now, a common question posted in expat groups is where to go close to Saigon. We want to recommend Lara Homestay. It's only three to four hours from Saigon and it's a great hidden gem. This is a real homestay for travelers on a budget and if you're looking for nature and simplicity. Lara is also a great host, so check out the link to their Facebook in the show notes and send them a message to book your stay and get away from Saigon. Yeah, I mean, well, this is partly why the, the podcast started. It was originally a Saigon podcast and then we've expanded to call it a Vietnam podcast. But part of the inspiration was just, just Saigon's just so crazy the, and the, everyone's got a story to share and everyone there's so many interesting things going on here. And even last night I was watching um, uh, a, a vlog, you call it a vlog or a vlog? A vlog, a vlog. A vlog right? It's, it's a lot of, it's, the blended consonants is difficult for a Scottish person. i got to teach this to, to Vietnamese students. Actually, another previous guest, Nhi, uh, who Nhi Mai, who has the channel now on Nhi. I was watching her channel last night and she had someone on there and saying the same thing that everyone says and when I heard this person say it, my wife and I looked at each other and we're just nodding our head. Is There's just something about Saigon and it's crazy and it's energetic and there's something about it that just attracts people. Well, I don't know if it attracts people. That's probably not right. It keeps people right. Because I 
before I got here, there was never like, let's go to Saigon. Saigon sounds amazing. I've never even heard anyone say that. Like, why did you come to Saigon? It's like, oh, because I heard it was so cool. It's mostly came for a week and 20 years later, I'm still here, you know? Yeah, Saigon, I feel very much as like a vortex. And either you you love it and you just go deeper and deeper and deeper into that vortex or you just get flung so far out. I don't think Saigon is for everybody, but the people it is for, they really hunker down and commit to it. No, I mentioned this, I think, just recently on the last season. There was someone we met who said that their friend came to Saigon to teach, was meeting another friend. And five days later, he left. He was like, I can't handle this. And, I, and I've said this many times on the podcast, but I, my first year here was horrible. Like, I hated it. I couldn't wait to leave. I was counting down the days till we got out of here. And then, yeah, the vortex sucked me in, I guess. Yeah, it is. a. I feel like once you get over a certain hump, then you're like, this is it. And also, Corona really helps making decisions about permanence. And... Well, you don't have a choice anymore, really, do you? But I wouldn't be anywhere else. Like, truly, I love Saigon. There's so many bonkers things happening. And and I truly think it's the safest place to be right now in terms of uh, biohazards well, and yeah. safety. The, the thing about Saigon as well, though, is it's changing so rapidly. And generally for the better, you know, like the subway system is going to be opening one day. But the Red today, they're now clearing Lilloy Street. They're opening that up. You know, they've even when we first came here six years ago, they hadn't finished Walking Street. So that was still like just being finished. That was only six years ago. You know, we've got a new bridge is about to be completed. They're, unless you travel across the city, a lot of people probably won't notice, but they've done loads of kind of small, subtle things to a lot of the, the main arteries, like the roads and things like that, to make it flow much better. So the road from Taudien to D1 used to have lots of little junctions and traffic lights and traveling used to be a nightmare because you'd come all these junctions with hundreds of bikes and they've now basically taken away all junctions they've repaved it and it's now basically like a straight shot they've just done the same on when who can't when can't i always forget the name of it but it's just the road that goes through bintan to the city so i know this is really boring talking about infrastructure stuff but when you live here and you have to deal with the traffic and you can see that they're improving things and making like things just easier to get around. And you can see that there's a plan. Because I think when I first came to Saigon, and you probably would agree, it's so chaotic. It's so crazy. It looks like nothing's planned. No idea what's going on. It's just, bah! now being here for five years, you start to see plans in place and things happening. And then, you know, so now it's like, yeah, I think it's going to get better. The pollution's obviously a big problem. Hopefully that will get better as well. Um, but then in terms of like the, the kind of art scene as well, I would say, so when we came here five years ago, obviously for me in stand-up comedy, I hadn't even started comedy at that point, but I was a massive fan, but there was no shows to go to. And I remember nearly every night, my wife and I just been like, what do we do tonight? There's like nothing to do. Whereas now, I mean, you look on Facebook at events and there's too many, you can't go to, you can't go to all of them really. So how, would, how have you seen that change over the last four years you've been here, right? Yes, four years. I have, a, I have options. I can either talk about urban planning in Saigon or the art scene. Well, and I'm going to talk about urban planning. No, no, I, know, no, I noticed this the other day okay, when I was on Dimbin Foo. Probably I've lost half of my listeners already <laughs> by talking about urban planning. And we're going to double down. Go we're going to make right. it fun. Yep, That's what okay. we're going to do. I noticed the same thing. I was like, wow, Dimbin Foo looks nicer like the in the the median where they have like the bushes and stuff and they have like little flags. I literally thought this the other day when I was cycling into town. I was like, it's either I'm 
not about to start my period and everything is all beautiful, or this looks like it's improved. And I think it improved. What's important to Saguenay, right? Like, as I mentioned, the people who live here know that this is a crazy city. So when things start to go a bit more like... <laughs> things start to go in order a bit more and things start to make a bit more sense. It almost makes you feel a bit more calm, right? And I'm very excited about that new bridge. Um, I ride my bike a lot and I'm very sad that I'm not allowed to go into the tunnel, which I got away with going into the tunnel with my bicycle about four times. And then the fifth time I tried to do it, they stopped me. Which is probably the safe thing to do. No, because the person stopped me and then is like, pointing like you have to walk your bike and I was like partly into the tunnel so he was so I was like so it's safer for me in this moment to go against traffic to walk my bike back up through this tunnel than just letting me go down and now and just telling me don't do it again interesting but let's talk about us so I'm very excited for the new bridge <laughs> um, moving on so let's talk about the art scene in Saigon <laughs> I... See, thank God that this isn't live. Like we can edit things out, but I'm gonna we're gonna keep all of this in um, because it's all gold. It's all gold. I don't know how live broadcasters do it though. I think I would be a terrible live broadcaster. Mm. Different skill set. Yeah. And I think we wouldn't you wouldn't be able to fit enough people in here. No. No. But uh, yeah, arts, art stuff. Um, you know, I did stand up for a little bit. Oh really? I don't. I don't know why I was kind of rolling in the. Like Saigon Funny People Circle, uh, Angie was really, really amazing in supporting what I did. Granted, I feel the things I made with the stand-up were considered more like performance art, and I don't think a lot of people got that. Um, and then I moved on to more interesting, not more interesting, ugh, let me say that again. No, fuck it. More interesting things for me. For me. That's how I'm going to save that. Uh, yeah, but there are a lot of exciting things happening. And when I first moved here, kind of uncovering all of these pockets of people doing interesting things. I'm excited that it seems like there is some momentum where all these different people and pockets of people are actually working together. Because um, there was a time where things kind of felt isolated and even a little bit competitive in a non-supportive way. But now it's starting to feel like there's more cross-pollination between people and more support um, not just in comedy, but like between different uh, adventures and different projects. Yeah, I like to think of it as it's it's a pot of water on a stove and things are just kind of bubbling up here and there. But I think give it a few more years, it's going to start to be like a rolling boil where all the water is actually mixing together and people are supporting each other and really building a community. Where when I first moved here, it didn't necessarily feel like that. Um, yeah. So that's fun. I think one of the, the biggest things that's missing, and I don't know if there's any plans to fix that, is the lack of a decent venue. And I've talked about this before. We've had like Damien Kilroy on the podcast who was behind Cargo Bar. Have you ever heard of Cargo? I've heard of it. Yeah, it was before my time here as well, but apparently it was a really awesome like music venue. Like It held a few, I think maybe 700 people, if I remember correctly. And so there's just no real venue in Saigon of even 700 people. Like, there's either, like, some stadiums that you could do thousands of people, or I think maybe the other biggest one of that is, like, two or 300 people. Um, and I think that holds back a lot of 
the kind of art scene in terms of theater performances, things like that. There's and there's no way to scale up really other from like a real amateur level. Like there's you've got to be either like it's gonna be fifty people or it's gonna be five thousand people. There's no like middle ground. And I don't when we talked about it with um with Damien, the problem is was obviously the land price to go back to urban planning. But the, the price the price of land <laughs> you didn't expect this, did you? Uh the price of land in D1 though makes it that there's nobody's ever gonna invest in a to build a theatre in downtown D1 because it would never make enough money to justify the expense. So let's move on from the urban planning uh, because, yeah, we, we've lost 90% of the listeners already. It's just my wife listening at this point because she's she listens to every episode and she's getting sick of me bringing her up now. Like, she's like, what, do you, can you stop talking about me? Like, every episode. But so I'm talking about you again. I'm sorry, Adri. You just have to deal with it. We could talk about the weather. <laughs> no, because I've cut that out. Um, no, so we'll move on from our... <laughs> urban planning and tell us let's talk about the art scene then in Saigon because yes you've been here over four years you have a movement background you know how to move um <laughs> first of all so why did you why did you move I'm in a goofy mood today uh, why did you move from the U.S. to Saigon there were a few impulses that drove me here um yeah I just wanted something new uh Trump just had had uh, been elected and my parents actually live here so they were doing the expat thing for a while they were in Shanghai for about six seven years previously and my dad got a new job here so I was like great I'll go travel hang out with my parents for a bit hang out in Vietnam for a bit and the vortex I got called the yeah. vortex absolutely oh your parents do they still live here they do wow what do they do um oh god my dad is a pig farmer for a pig breeding company so he works in the complicated world of agribusiness. Well, I had a friend who's a, a market. He worked in marketing for pig feed. Oh, yeah. Where did he work? I don't. I can't remember. I don't. I, don't, I never knew. I never asked. <laughs> I never asked him that many questions about the pig feed company. But he, he told me a little bit about how uh, what goes into the feed influences the taste of the meat and, and the fat content and all of this stuff. And Absolutely. so that was fascinating. Like, wait, what? Like, yeah. So, but again, we come from urban planning to pig feed. We're trying to talk about art because you've got a background in movement and art. <laughs> so your parents went from Shanghai to here. No, but you mentioned that you partly moved because of Trump. Is that Was that a real factor? Because I know people, and again, bring, bring up my wife, but she had, she's from America and she had friends in America right as Trump got elected, message her when we lived in New Zealand and being like, how do I get to New Zealand? Like I, I'm considering leaving America because of that. What was are you, are you joking, or was that a real consideration? Um, it it was. Um, I kind of described there were a lot of things nudging me to make a change, and all of those small nudges led to a push, which was the impetus for uh, making the move. Yeah, I was I was in Philadelphia for six years. Um, I was freelancing as a performer, doing like theater and devising and making my own work, doing solo projects and working for other people. And I worked on a project that I was really, really proud of and then was doing other projects and they weren't satisfying me. And I thought to myself, well, at least I'm making money. Granted, I'm making $100 for a rehearsal process that's three months long. So I wasn't making money. But just the fact that I was justifying doing this thing that wasn't bringing me joy I moved here being like, I'm never doing theater again. I'm not acting again. I'm not performing again. I think I can close the book on that chapter 
of my life. And I moved here. I got my CELTA. I started teaching and eventually got into teaching acting and teaching movement um, at this amazing studio in Funyun called uh, Kaitonya, which is a local studio run by Miss Anne. And she's incredible. And she really focuses on using the arts as 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 life skills. So like how to communicate with people, how to work together with people, how to be more confident. So she's really focused in using those skills in your everyday life, which is what why I, I returned to uh, acting and performing. And then, yeah, after a few years of teaching it, I, I got the itch again and I wanted to start making things again and was working with Dragonfly Theater, which is an expat... Uh, English-speaking theater company and did a few shows with them. And then I got tired of working with other people and I was like, I want to work by myself. So then I did stand-up for a bit and then and then uh, drag. Drag was something I was always interested in. And then I started doing that. So I kind of popped between all of these things and I just like enjoy making things and I enjoy people being in the same room together and experiencing the same thing. So for me... I've been saying a lot recently, especially yes, about Trump and the state of the world. Uh, so much of the world right now is focused on destruction and destroying communities and destroying just, just destruction, period. So uh, making things in the arts is a way to be rebellious against that because it focuses on creation. And maybe that's just a metaphor to make my sweet liberal heart feel better. Or maybe it is an example of a way we can operate in the world where we focus on creating things and creating spaces where people can be together and share something. It's difficult here because the world, it seems so bad, right? And a lot of that's driven and fueled by the media. I'm, I watch too much CNN. Um, anytime you read anything in the news, you're gonna, it's going to be bad news, right? Like the newspaper's front line, the, the front page and the headline of a newspaper is never going to be, hey, we just cured this disease. I mean, maybe it would be, but probably not. Um, so I think... I understand where you're coming from and I try and I always try and be an eternal optimist because I think there actually is so many good things happening in the world and so much good things, but we just don't see it and we don't hear about it. And whether that's little pockets of creation like you're seeing on, on a small level of I'm creating a theatre play or whether it's someone that's building a solar farm or creating a new way to harness plastic from the ocean. Like there's so many things that go on that I think we just never see about. And it's a shame because some to find that good news, you have to actually seek it out. I've gone through spells where I've been like, right, I'm going to try and find the good news. And there are some like kind of websites or Facebook pages, but you really have to, you know, go and find them. Yeah, and even the fact that we have to do that is revealing about some ethos that's happening at the moment. But yeah, it's the arts and theater and making things and watching people perform I love it and I want to support support it all the ways I can. So I enjoy seeing it. I enjoy doing it. And it's made me, I think, a better person because it helps me to be empathetic. And yeah, we need it. Uh, we need it. Yeah. yeah. You sure? So I first saw you in your performance as Colonel Hyman at a Gender Funk event at Saigon Outcast, I think it was. It was um, with... Jawanza, who's been on the show, Angie, who's been on the show, Vumin 2, who's been on the show, um, and now you've been on the show. Uh, that was a, that was a really good time. That was really fun. And it was um, the guy who played Jesus Christ, Trevor, right? Yeah, Trevor. Uh, yeah. And his uh, drag name is Sweet Potato. That's right, yeah. He was 
really, really funny. Yeah. And yourself as well. So tell us more about that character, because that was, I think you won that the evening, did you? Was that a competition, if I remember rightly? It was. It was a Gender Funk's Saigon is Burning, and it was Snatch Game, which is um, inspired by RuPaul's Drag Race uh, Snatch Game competition they have in their show, where it's essentially a celebrity impersonation. So that was a really fun show. My first time doing drag, and Sweet Potato and I, Trevor and I, we, we co-won. We were both That's equally... Right bad or equally good, however you want to look at it. But yeah, we co-won and it's been great. I really enjoy doing drag. It's just shamelessly joyful, but also is a space where you can be a little bit political and satirical, uh, or you could definitely be political and satirical. Um, For me, dressing up as a different gender doesn't feel revolutionary, but then for some people it is. And uh, yeah, I just really enjoy it. And I love the process. And there's so many talented people here in Saigon who are doing it. So it's a really fun place to be. And if anybody has any desire to do drag, they should absolutely do it. It's a blast. So you're a drag king? I'm a drag king. Right. So my character is male-bodied. Um, and it came out of a, a desire. I've always said if I had the confidence of a man, what what would happen? And so I get to pretend to be a man. And I can surprise myself in ways that I feel... I might not be able to otherwise. Uh, when I was doing stand-up, I was told that I was too aggressive. And I couldn't help but wonder, would this be different if I were a different gender? Or was it wasn't female-bodied? And yeah, Colonel Hyman is kind of an exploration of that. But he, and So he's based on Colonel Sanders, right? Like Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's correct. So for like, the, not inspired by it, but yeah, okay, there's some well, aesthetic the, the look choices. of it is the aesthetic is, yeah. Yeah, so when we were doing Snatch Game, so yeah, it's a celebrity impersonation. And I knew I wanted to be, um, portray a man, be a king. And thinking about who would I impersonate. And I'm, I went to high school in Kentucky. And it just made me giggle to be, why not be Colonel Sanders? Because it's a person that a lot of people know, but but you could fill in the blanks so easily. There's some people who are really difficult to impersonate because either they're not extreme enough or or this, that, and the other. But Colonel Sanders excited me because it, it uh, yeah, it left a lot of room for interpretation. And be like, yeah, it's not like the first thing people would think of, but people would be like, I recognize this. So thank you, KFC. I, 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 I'm... Being cynical here, I think there was definitely a corporate ploy here that you are looking for sponsorship. And I am waiting for that money to come in. So anytime. Well, money or lawsuit, I don't know which one of them it could be. It's it's a toss-up. I'm willing to take that risk, though. I think they'd be happy with the visibility. It's not Chick-fil-A, right? Like the Chick-fil-A is the, the religious one, right? I would also would never. Um, yeah. So anyone who doesn't know why I'm saying Chick-fil-A, they're the ones they don't open on a Sunday, right? Yes. They respect the Sabbath and they're very homophobic. Yeah. That could be pretty radical, though, to be like, I'm going to portray What's your... their mascot? Or their... They don't really have one. No. Would... Just Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yes. That was Trevor. Trevor <laughs> well, that was, was actually Trevor, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, so you've done a few shows as Colonel Hyman, and I was going to come to the one you were going to do at the Hard Rock and that was cancelled, right, because of the last corona outbreak. Was that right? Yes, it got postponed because of a few factors. But then we actually did put it on in January. And that project, I call it Drag Cabaret. Um, it's a cabaret-style show where there's storytelling, singing. 
I have an amazing group of people who play live music for it. And again, out of this thing, if, if I had the confidence of, of, a, of a man, of a male-bodied person, what would I be able to do? Um, and singing was, I've always loved singing. I love karaoke, who doesn't? Um, there was a time I thought I was going to... Like listen to it on the street. <laughs> <laughs> but in a controlled environment, yeah. it's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, was, I was actually studying music and thought I was going to be an opera singer. And then I failed out of music theory and I switched to theater. So I've always had this like weird relationship to singing. And so Ilsa doesn't do the cabaret and the singing, but Colonel Hyman does. So it's actually a way for me to explore this new medium of singing that Ilsa doesn't feel comfortable doing, but Colonel Hyman has the confidence to do it. And it's been a blast. It was such an amazing show and I had so many people supporting it and it was super fun. And we're planning on doing another show, another um, version. I don't want to say version. More of an installment. So it's still going to be Colonel Hyman Drag Cabaret, but this is the sorry show is the concept of it. So it's more of a group therapy session than uh, a performance. But yeah, there'll be storytelling and singing and hopefully a good time. Cool. And uh, what do your mom and dad think of Colonel Hyman from coming from the pig from straight off the pig farm? Uh, they love it. They, my parents were painfully supportive. Uh, so, 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 so supportive. And yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't be able to do the things I I do without them. Like they've always been, yeah, supportive of everything, and it's just amazing to have that and recognizing how extremely privileged I am to have such a supportive home life that has allowed uh, me to do things. And also, like yeah, being a teacher, you can definitely see how people's backgrounds and how they grew up really affect how they take in information and how they function in the world. And I've just been wildly privileged to have uh, amazing supportive parents. No, I have to add to that. I mean, mine have been the exact same. They are uh, supportive to a fault, you know, and I, I've lived all over the world over the last kind of 18, 20 years. And question I often get asked is, what do your parents think about that when, when I meet someone when I live in a different country? And it's always kind of shocked me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, they're completely fine with it, you know? And it, they've never, ever told me not to do something, whether I'm like, I'm going to go live in this country and I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go do that. So I was like, oh, that's so interesting, that's amazing. Like, And so it's not like uh, they're not supportive of it as in like, you should go and do this or like give advice, things like that. But I like their passive support, the fact that they just, whatever I do, and as I've got older, I've realized it's, I think as long as I'm happy or I'm doing whatever makes me happy and I'm healthy and I'm well, then you get that support. And you're right, I do feel very privileged and, and when I have met other people and, and they don't have that because there's a lot of people that have, whether it's cultural or not sometimes, but that from family pressure to to do whatever, go to university, get a degree, get married, whatever whatever it might be, that exists for a lot of people. And I've always thought, man, I'm lucky because... I've never had that and I don't know what that would feel like. I know for a fact if so my grandfather is like my, you know, idol and he's my, you know, father figure and all of that. And I don't know, even so he's again very supportive. And if he was to ever at one point to turn around and say, I think you should do this, Neil, I would be like, oh, okay, maybe I should. You know, I would really consider and I've never ever had that. I've never had someone say, Have you thought about doing this? 
So I'm saying and support him to a fault because maybe at some point it would have been good to have someone have said, why don't you think about doing this? When I was in university, my father said, are you sure you want a double major in women's studies and theater? Why not economics? That's so kind of the only time when I felt a little underneath the thumb. But I think, yeah, they love it. My mom just is like, it, they, yeah, it's exciting for them. They love it. And they never put pressure on me, especially with the uh, marriage stuff. Let me tell you a little story. Uh, I have a brother. He is married. He's a breeder. Um, he's married. Uh, he had. He just had a kid <laughs> hold last on. year. Hold on. I don't think I've heard that phrase before. Not. He's a breeder. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's a fun little thing queer people like to call heterosexuals who have kids. Breeders. Okay. <laughs> That's a new one to me. I like it. Use it sometime in yeah, conversation. Yeah. It's your word of the day yeah. challenge. Yeah. Uh, so whenever my brother told uh, us that uh, his wife was pregnant, I was out with my father's colleagues at a restaurant, and he said, oh, my, my son and his wife, they're expecting a baby. And, uh, and I said, as a joke, because, you know, society. And I was like, this will really play out well. I said... I said, yeah, now the pressure, I'm off the hook. Now I don't have to get married or have kids. And without missing a beat, my, ba- my dad, he turned to me and said, Ilsa, you were off the hook because you were never on the hook. Me and your mother, we have always supported you and everything, and we put no pressure on you to do anything except be happy. And then my mom's a little hype woman who's like, yeah. So uh, that's how supportive my parents are. Even when I joke about, oh, my parents are putting pressure on me, they're like, how dare you? So, yeah, they're great. Shout out to Marna and Randolph. Marna and Randolph. Randolph. Well, I can't names even say are hard I know, for names are hard for me. <laughs> Shout out to Marna and Randolph. They're the best. Awesome. Now, quickly tell me about uh, your current project, which is the Lang Tang Theatre. Uh, yeah, uh, Lang Tang, it is a space. So Lang Tang is the name of the space. And it's kind of a, we describe it as a creative hub. So it's myself, uh, David, Dells and Trish Nguyen, we each have our own individual projects that we use this space to do, but then we also come together on uh, projects that we do together. And it is a space that's open to people to check out and rent for events. And yeah, it's it's always changing and always morphing a little bit. And this microphone is falling. Ah. But yeah, um, there are two people who are also involved in the arts and creating spaces for people to be the best versions of themselves. And the win conversations, we always think like, what's the one thing that's truly preventing us from growing or like doing the thing that we want to do. And it was kind of what you were touching on earlier. It's uh, we need a space. We need a place to do this stuff and not have to be dependent on other places, schedules or price and cost. So we decided to rent uh, a, a place in, Taurian, where it has a nice big open space at the bottom that we can rent out to, yeah, do what we want to do. And we have classes, we have workshops, uh, we have private events. We also do shows there. We do music shows. Uh, that's where we did the drag cab, the first version before we did at the Hard Rock. And and it's also where I live. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. And the joke, that's kind of the business model. Like we don't have to worry about rent because we're already paying the rent because we live there. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, intense lifestyle choice, but I, I love it. And I have to kind of remind myself 
how how lucky we are again that going back to feeling very privileged that i have the means to to do this and hopefully we can just spread the spread it around to people and and yeah make stuff mm. and make. where can people find this information about this uh you can look it up on the facebook shocking shocking um <laughs> uh, mostly the facebook i think that's the best way to find it um yeah or you could just ask ask me about it i guess Cool, and we'll put a link in the show notes to to the Facebook, the Facebook. so that people can find it as well. Now we're gonna fi- we finish every episode with uh, some questions. It's gonna be the same questions for every guest. We've done the same questions for the past two seasons, so I've got brand new questions <gasps> for season six. But before we do that, I want to do another shout out to Eddie's, who are the, now the new sponsor of season six of a Vietnam podcast. And I don't think there's anyone better to give Eddie's a shout out than you in your Wisconsin accents. Oh, and I'm feeling like I I miss my mom's home cooked meals. I like to go to Eddie's. Oh, you betcha. It is so good. And for a very cheap price, it's very reasonable. When I don't want to make my casserole, I just go on. (laughs) That was a Philadelphia go. Um, (laughs) I'm, I'm blending the two sensibilities, but you get the idea. Thank you, Eddie's. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ilsa. I said it right? Yeah. You did, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny when people call me Ian. It's like, where did you get that from? I get Alyssa sometimes. Alyssa? People like, just adding letters and yeah. things like that. It's crazy, eh? Right. Final questions. Okay. All right. First question of season six. Now, a bit of context here. As we know, the podcast is called 7 Million Bikes because there are over 7 million registered motorbikes in Saigon, 45 million in the whole of Vietnam. Incredible. But as we talk about urban planning and development in Saigon over the last five years, the amount of cars on the road has gone through the roof, right? Now, we know as well Vietnam is a very has a lot of inequality, a lot of people with very, very little money, and some people with a lot of money. And in my country, we say that money can't buy taste, which applies to people who buy expensive cars in Vietnam. What I've noticed over the last few months, as the cars get more expensive, the paintwork gets more ridiculous. So in the last few months, I've seen a Land Rover in can only be described as a beetle green. So, you know, like the back of like shiny green. Like iridescent. Yeah, that's a great word. Yeah, exactly like that. I can't try and say that word. There's too many R's in the middle. Um, iridescent. Um, there's one, there's a Porsche in the build in my building that has been given um, decals to make it look like the car from Cars. You know the Disney movie Cars? I'm not Which joking. Which car? I don't there are know. many not, cars and cars. I know, cars. I, haven't seen, I actually haven't seen the movie. What's the, the main one? It's Cars, it's red. not Car. Um, Steve McQueen? Yeah, that no, one. That's a designer. Lightning McQueen. Lightning McQueen. I think it's that one. William yeah. Wallace? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Lightning McQueen. The one, yeah, so they had decals on it. And then the worst one was last week. I saw it in my building, which tells you about my building. A bedazzled Mercedes. The whole thing was glittery silver. It sounds beautiful. Yeah. And on the way here today, I can't believe I didn't stop to take a picture. I was going by the VinFast showroom. It was a brand new VinFast car that was two-tone yellow-black. So it went from yellow and faded into black. And it's just like, what is going... So anyway, the question is, what's the craziest car that you've seen in Vietnam? Now that you gave that context, I'm not sure if my answer is... uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> appropriate 
I guess I'm not going on roads that have crazy cars. Um, if you're in Taudien, which it sounds like you spend time if you you live there, all, I've seen all of these cars in Taudien. I feel like it's, I maybe I'm just not well versed in cars, but they're having some bright pink colors. But I was going to say I was in District 12 once and somebody was on a motorbike driving very slowly and a horse, a, a live horse was just like trotting along beside them. So that was going to be my answer to what's the craziest like car vehicle you've seen. <laughs> a horse, I've, like an actual horse. Yeah. It looked miserable. I'll bet, yeah. It's more bloody hot. But pink cars as well, though, that's a common one as well. And I've seen so many cars, like Barbie pink. And you're like, what is going on? So that, that's your real answer then. I'll take Barbie pink. <laughs> I'll tell you what your answer is, All okay? Right, great. Now, um, have you ever tried durian? I have, and I really like it. You do? I do. Oh. I, I love that it is strong. It has a, it has a point of view. Um, it is pungent. Yeah, I like it. I really do. I like it best in smoothie form. For me, it's not the smell. It's actually oh. kind of the texture, how kind of like soft and goopy it is. But I really like it in uh, smoothies and candies. Now, we do, a lot of our listeners are from overseas. So maybe some people might not know what durian is or why I'm asking that question. So can you explain to those listeners, what is durian? Durian is a fruit. It is considered the king of fruits because it is so large. It has a, I would say it's, about the size of a watermelon and it grows on top of a tree and it has a spiky spiky rind on the outside and then whenever you cut it open there's this pulpy whitish yellowy stuff inside and it has a polarizing smell and I've actually done some reading on it and it talks about how this attitude against durian started as a as a part of colonialism and then it became an issue of it was the the colonialists coming in being like vilifying this fruit. And so then, and it was also talking about mangosteens. So mangosteens are a tiny little purple fruit and they also have a tough um, skin. It's not as spiky as the durian, but it has a very creamy texture. And also the durian has a super creamy te texture as well. So they're putting these two fruits where when the colonials came, they really praised mangosteen as like an icon of like exoticism and so beautiful and so wonderful and so decadent. But then the durian, they horribly vilified because it has a strong smell. I'm not going to judge it and say a bad smell. But <laughs> but yeah, it, it was a really interesting article that it like linked the history of the food with uh, Vietnam's colonial past and okay. making it relevant to to how people misjudge this fruit, poor durian. Well, my first experience was, I think, when I went to Singapore on my way to Vietnam. We had a couple of one night or two nights in Singapore and we checked into a hotel, nothing fancy, a hotel. And uh, they'd signs everywhere saying no durian. So it's actually banned in a lot of hotels. And I remember last year, there was a, was it in Germany or was it in the US where, and this has happened more than once in the last year, where someone brought a durian and people could smell it and they cleared the building because they didn't know what it was. They, they thought it was like a bomb or they, they thought it was uh, a chemical attack. Or something. Like if you look it up, it literally has happened twice in the last year where someone has left a durian in like, I think it was a university or an office building, definitely at least twice and they've had to evacuate the building because of durian. Poor durian. I just feel bad. It's not durian's fault. I don't. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> right, next question. What's something that happens in Vietnam that would be looked at strangely in, in your country or another country? Bum guns. 
you know, all this talk about like first world country, uh, superiority, superiority slash supremacy, blah, America's the best, blah. You all have dirty buttholes. How can you be the leading fucking economy and have such cultural grip on what happens in the entire world? But we all have dirty buttholes. How? It's, it's weird, eh? How? It makes no sense. Like, did we, yeah, I don't even want to get into it. It's so disgusting. But yeah, I completely agree. And if I ever move back to the West, it will be the first thing that I do. Is I install a bum gun. I had friends who came here to visit and they're like, this is so weird. It is at first. It is weird at first. It ta- it's a sensation that yeah. I can't live without now, literally. Yeah. And they moved, They went back to the States and they got a bidet. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I stayed with them, I scheduled I scheduled my, my bathroom time and... I, I couldn't, I, it's the only place I, I used the restroom while I was in Philadelphia for two months when I went back to visit in the summer. <laughs> and have you been to Japan or used a Japanese bathroom? That's on a whole nother episode. We'll get into that. Gosh, we'll, do, we'll do an episode on, uh, what was the first, on names. And then yes. we'll do another episode on, on Japanese toilets. It could be called a bidet a day. And Ooh. we just talk about there you go. cleanliness. Every day, that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of effort. Bidet a day. I don't know what you meant. And next question. And I hate effort. <laughs> so opposite question. What's something that happens in your country, the USA, that would be looked at strangely in Vietnam? I'm going to keep it in the bathroom. The gap in the stalls. <laughs> so big. It's the weirdest thing ever in America. When I first went there, it comes up so often. I see it. other people post about it. Anyone who's not been to America, for some reason, you go to a public restroom, public toilet, the gap between the door... Like, you can eyeball through and look at someone if you wanted to. We used Why? to in high school. Like, that was always kind of like the joke. Is that, oh, I see you. I'm like, so-and-so is in there. And the funny thing is, I don't know why I know this, but um, the a very popular brand of stall, like the company that makes bathroom stalls, is called Heine Hiders. <laughs> but they are not hiding any Heinies with that gap. It's absurd. It's so weird. It's so weird when you go into like a public restroom, whether it's a 7-Eleven or, or wherever Truly it is. Truly a public restroom. Yeah, yeah. Everyone can see you. <laughs> and there's a massive gap. Why? Like, it just goes against what a bathroom is. Last one. Okay, so you've been here four years. What advice would you give to yourself before you came to Vietnam? Make sure all of your friends visit before the year 2019. <laughs> That's the advice. That is a good one. People would like put off visiting like, oh, next year, next year, next year. No, do it. Do it now. Yeah, because we, in the year and a half, two years before the pandemic, we had so many people, because Vietnam was like, that was the place to come. We had these friends that are like, oh, we're coming to Vietnam. We're like, what? Like, it was never really on people's radars until the last couple of years. And then, I guess. What was that movie that came out? There was that popular movie that um, highlighted um, one of the beaches up north, and then it totally destroyed that place as a tourist attraction. Anyway. You're not thinking of the beach, which was set in Thailand? I don't know the movie about Vietnam. Maybe I'm sure that movie does exist. Maybe. Then we there's King Kong. You, you mean you mean tourists and Westerners only have the ability to ruin one place? <laughs> but we had lots of people come to Vietnam before the pandemic and it was so exciting having friends come and then now it's been over a year of nobody. It's really sad. We just have it? to see the same people time and time again. Yeah, it sucks. Love you guys, I'm kidding. You're all amazing. Right. That's why you do podcasts, not live shows, so you don't have to see them. Yeah. Well, no, but that's not true because I do live shows like all the time and I see all the same people. But not ones that talk about civil engineering or all these really exciting topics. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> this has been one of my favorite podcasts today. Um, <laughs> this is the most fun I've had in a large closet. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect and I still don't know what to expect, but thank you so, so much for coming on. I've had an awesome time. It's been amazing talking to you. Um, we'll have to, we, we've now got so many more podcasts that we, we can explore and branch into. So we've got Urban Planning, um, Names, Bidea Day. Day, and maybe we'll do about art because that's more of your background. And I guess I'm, I'm sick of it. I deal yeah. with it too much in my everyday life. Yeah. Bidea yeah. Day, then that's going to be the one. Thank you very much for listening. Um, please don't judge the entire podcast on this episode. It's normally way better than this. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. This has been a blast. I've had so much fun. Um, Ilse is never going to want to talk to me again after this. I can't decide how much of this I'm going to cut out. It might have the whole episode or it might be five minutes. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Awesome. Thank Thanks. you. Oh, I need to thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this was super fun. I, I've, I don't listen to podcasts. The only podcast I listen to is... Um, Bros watch Pretty Little Liars too, and this is like seven years ago, and it was just two bros who would spend three hours talking about a single forty-five minute episode of Pretty Little Liars. I've seen Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, I watched that up to about how many seasons was there? I don't know. I stopped too because I was like, "This is getting too got too ridiculous." Right? Yeah, yeah. But boy, what a good show! It was up to a point. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, so that's going to be a new podcast. We're going <laughs> to. Neil and Ilse discuss uh, Pretty Little Liars. Please check in for that. But please do listen to future episodes of 7 Million Bikes. Thank you so, so much for coming on. Tell people how can they get in touch with you? How can they follow you? Where can they see your performances? Give them all they need to know. Um, I'm equally bad with anything tech-related as I am with my podcast. How do you say that word? That's how bad I am. Pod, pod cooster? Pod spooper? Podcast. Knowledge. Um, Facebook. Langtang. L-A-N-G. T-H-A-N-G. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, I think we have an Instagram for Langtang. Why are you looking at me? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Didn't you research this before you invited me onto your podcast? No. <laughs> Great. Nothing but mutual respect here. Uh, yes, uh, Facebook. Facebook is the best way. Langtang. Uh, we really need to work on our marketing. <laughs> But we also just trust that the right people will find us. There you go. If you if you know, you know. If you know, you know. There you go. Yeah. And on that note, thank you very much for listening. Cheers. Thank you. Right, Ilsa. Why are you laughing? Because you make me smile. Ilsa, I'm saying it right. Yeah, you're doing a great job. I'm not saying Ilsa. You <laughs> say it wrong. Um, Ilsa is correct. Ilsa. Like Elsa from Frozen? Like, that's Elsa. Yeah. Ilsa. But Ilsa. I also think I'm saying my own name wrong, too, because my father grew up in Germany, so it's a German name, so it's a very Americanized pronunciation of the name. So I think everybody's just saying my name wrong. All right, let's stop. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. Don't forget to subscribe from wherever you're listening from right now. Turn on the notifications as well so you never miss an episode. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you go back through. We've got five seasons of amazing guests that you can listen to their stories as well. Please get in touch. I always love to hear from our listeners. It's one of the best things when I wake up in the morning and I open up Instagram or Facebook and I've had a message from someone telling me that they've been listening from America or Australia or anywhere in the world. So please let me know where you're listening from or Vietnam as well, obviously. Um, I always love to hear from people. I want to give a massive thank you again to our Patreon members, Brandon Thompson and Zion Johnson. 
If you do enjoy this content, you can support 7 Million Bikes of Vietnam podcast on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. You can become a member of a Vietnam podcast and get access to exclusive member benefits like free tickets to comedy shows or even a free 7 Million Bikes t-shirt as well. So check that out in the show notes, as I said. And you can also buy me a coffee or a beer if you want on coffee.com. So make sure you check that out. So thanks again for listening. Really hope you enjoy season six and you can stay tuned for the future episodes. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>